welcome to the Hope Vineyard Podcast. For more information, go to www.hopevineyardchurch.us. Well, um, did any of you all see any ducks or uh, chickens or you know, geese, I don't know, any other kind of birds falling from the sky this morning? I, yeah, they're just falling from the sky. Somebody came in and said the weather was, it was like really foul weather. <laughs> Speaking of the weather, I was, as I was approaching my car this morning, and I, I actually was running to my car with a beach towel over my, ho- my head because we don't have umbrellas in our house. Um, so, so I was running to my car. I, I kind of heard the, the w- trees whispering, like just whispering to the air, to the, to the season. They were just kind of whispering to spring, I guess. And I don't know, did, can anybody imagine what, I, what they were saying? <laughs> what a relief. Like relief, you get it? <laughs> well, over the course of the last couple of weeks, we've been um, participating in kind of the last, you know, one of the last scenes of um, the story of Jesus. We've been reading through the Gospel of John, and you know, part of John's goal is to like let us enter into Jesus's life, so it will enter into us. And um, we were um, taking into taken into this scene where he's having the last you know Passover meal with his disciples, and he, he started out by washing their feet and and you know explaining how. They are to um, continue this life of service to one another. And then he explained the, basically the theology of the Holy Spirit and, and how he goes away, but he gives his spirit, which is like him to be able to uh, live inside of them and that, that, he can, that, the, that his disciples will be filled and empowered um, and led by the Holy Spirit as they go out into the world. And, um, and now... This week, we're going to be um, looking through John 17. So you guys can be opening to John 17. But as we read John 17, we're going to be um, invited into this uh, prayer that Jesus prays on behalf of his disciples, and he includes us in it. He, He says, in all future disciples. And so this is a prayer that Jesus is praying. We get to see his interaction with his father as he's praying. And we get to see what Jesus' will is. We can see what Jesus really wants, what's on his heart as he's coming to his father on behalf of his disciples that are there in the room. And then on the behalf of anybody else who is ever going to be a disciple. And this morning, we're going to learn how we have the opportunity to participate in God's answer to Jesus' prayer. So we'll, I'm going to say that one more time. We have the opportunity to learn how we can participate in God's answer, the Father's answer to Jesus' prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you'll um, be with us this morning. Like We thank you for your Holy Spirit that's present with us, that's present in your church. And we ask that you will prepare our hearts 
to understand um, the life of Jesus that he lived and now gives us to live um, in him and how his love is then revealed in and through us to the world. We ask that you'll soften us to hear this and that you will um, reach deeply, not only that we would hear, but that we would be able to live this out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so go ahead. If um, You should be open to John 17, and we'll start with verse 1. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one of you, each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world begins, or before the world began. Now, here in this section of the prayer, we see God, Jesus actually celebrating and making a request. The first, he's celebrating. He did the work. He got it done. Yay! He he lived a perfect life. He um he um showed revealed. The, that the kingdom has come. He expanded the kingdom by um, opening the eyes of the blind and healing the brokenhearted and setting the captives free to tear down the works of the enemy. And he lived a sinless life, which made him perfectly equipped to go to the cross, to die for us, that he would um, be able then to let death burn out in him and defeat death and sin and the and the enemies of the Lord and humanity forever. So Jesus did this thing. He's saying, okay, I've done it. Yay. And now God, and this has brought God glory because it's, it's revealing that Jesus is the son and that the kingdom has come and, and that the enemy is defeated. And so he's celebrating and now he's saying, now God, bring me back into this glory I had with you before the world began. And so he's, um, John is including this to, in part to um, help the people understand, his readers understand that this is fulfilling scripture. And much of John's gospel was shared to show how scripture was revealed in Jesus. And so the scripture revealed um, in Jesus, in this part of Jesus' prayer, is that I'm going to return to glory. And what does that mean? In Daniel 7, there Daniel has this vision about this um, end of time event where it says I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds in heaven he approached the ancient one and was led into his presence he was given authority honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so the people of every race and nation and language would obey him his rule is eternal it will never end his kingdom will never be destroyed and so this end time event where this, you know, one like the son of man gets to have this glory and his rule that is um, powerful forever, that's eternal and will never be destroyed, is what Jesus is talking about. He's like, God, make this happen. Because in John includes this so that his readers know that that's what's happened. 
that when the son is glorified, he is brought into the um, presence of the ancient of days, who is the father, and now he rules. And so even as his readers, we've talked about the readers who this book was written to, are struggling under persecution of this early church, they're reminded that that God, that Jesus is there, that he had authority to lay down his life and come to earth as a man, and he has authority to, to um, be back in the presence of the Ancient of Days and, and rule from there. And so his readers, you know, Jesus is praying this beforehand, but the readers are thinking he knew it, that was going to happen, and that's what's happened. So the Father glorifies Jesus the, the son glorifies the father by his obedience and his even until the cross. And the father glorifies Jesus by the resurrection. And, um, and then Jesus gives us eternal life. And he says the eternal life is to know the father and to know Jesus. The way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. And so these readers were persecuted and struggling and thinking, well, maybe we missed it. Now, they've read the whole Bible, so far, the whole book of John so far, so they're you know, probably getting a little bit encouraged. But Jesus knows this, and he knows that they're going to struggle. And he's saying it's not about being happy and having good stuff and having perfect relationships and getting your way all the time and you know, knowing you're right and someone else is wrong. It's to know the Father and the Son, and, to, and that is the life. And that's the life that we know even in our struggles, that because he's the one we have to run to as the world crushes in. So hurting Christians can hold on to the fact that Jesus walked both in this authority um, and obedience, and his obedience led him to suffering but it also led him to glory. Verse 6, I have revealed to you, to the ones you gave me, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and you gave, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. So he, Jesus is talking about his followers, and, and we'll see that he's talking about then all followers in, a, in the um, future. But here he's talking particularly about his friends. These are friends that he's eating with. These are friends that he's done life with daily for three years. He loves them. And yet he's saying, these were yours. These, these people, you knew their hearts. You knew their calling. You knew what they were prepared to do. You chose them before they were ever born. And you gave them to me. And I stewarded them. And I loved them. And now I have to release them to you because I'm coming back. You know, he, Jesus knows he's going to leave them. But he's releasing them to the Father. And he's showing um, the readers that he didn't abandon them, that he didn't leave them, and that we know that his life is also in them. But we see that this is a, that. This was something that even Jesus was, you know, had to make that release. 
you know, he, he would have liked to be like, and if I stay, you know, if I protect him, then I can do like shoot lightning bolts at anybody who tries to hurt them. But he said, I have to, I have to leave them to my father who loves them because they were his to begin with. You know, this is, um, this passage spoke to me because it, it shows me that Jesus understands when we have those kind of rela relational struggles. You know, yes, he had to do this for his disciples. He had to let go of his um, influence and his closeness in their lives. But he knows what that was like. And so, and he entrusted him to the Father because he knew he was there just to steward them anyway. And so when we have relationships that we can't control, that we have to let go of, when, we, when our parents get, or when our children get older, or we're, we're, when our parents um, go to be with Jesus, when um, we have relationships that we don't, that we um, have, don't, are not able to influence, we don't have to be codependent. We, it, this can break us from some of those things that says, oh, I, I can't, I don't have any control. Because we know that we, our relationships, the things, the relationships that Jesus gives us, or that the Father gives us, are to be stewarded. And when we let go, we don't let them go into the hands of nothing. We let them go into the hands of the Father who loved them first. And here's what we, he, here's, um, oh, and then, and then we get to see how the Father protects them. So the people that are, uh, that Jesus is referring to, the disciples are the ones who get it. He's saying that, that, that they belong to me because they understood. That the ones who understand that, that God the Father sent his son for them. And that the son was God. And the son um, returned to God. Those are the ones who, who have, are his. And it's okay to be persecuted. And that doesn't mean that they weren't included in Jesus's blessing or in, in Jesus's family or in God's will, that the persecution that those were, um, people were seeing was part of the world, but their um, belonging came from their relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. In verse 9, it says, My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me so that they can bring me glory. So John talks about the world in several different ways throughout, the, throughout his um, letter here or in his book. He talks about the world in the way that like, God loves the world. And in John 3.16, it says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But he also talks about the world in the sense of like the structures of the world. So we have John, when God loves the world, he's loving humanity. He's, he's loving the, his creation. He's loving everything he created, everything he envisioned that, was, that he called good. He, he loves people. And he sent his son for them, that they would have eternal life through his son. But when it says that the, these people were called out and they don't belong to the world, he's talking about the world in a different way. He's talking about the structures of the world, the, the, the culture, the um, institutions, the way the enemy is able to structure his plan through of darkness through um, people who have aligned with that. And so he says he's not praying for the world or the structures or politics. He's not saying 
like, God, just make it all better from all these, like the hierarchy of, of structures and rulers and that kind of stuff. He's praying for those he calls out. And he's bringing the kingdom not from a, like, by knocking down the structures, but by bringing people who were the, who are not, who are in the world, but not of the world, and allowing a new kingdom to be established within the hearts of the people he calls out. And so when we see God, um, or when we see these prayers, and when we see references to the world in the negative sense, we're looking at the power of how the powers of evil orchestrate destruction and corruption and um, disunity amongst human beings. And so that's, that's what the world is. And when it says you cooperate the world or when you cooperate with the father of lies or when you cooperate the spirit of the world, we're looking at different ways that um, the world creates otherness and, and hate and, and disunity among people because God loves all people. And so when there's a division, that is the work of the enemy. But eternal life is filled with the reign of Jesus as king in a kingdom that is superimposed um, in the midst of, invisibly in the midst of the, the world that we see around us. And it's arrived when Jesus takes his throne um, and is sitting in victory on it, and we see it when it breaks into our midst in the form of love and unity and joy and peace. In... Um, Verse 11, it says, Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they can be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now, when Jesus is talking about the name and he's given him his name, he's talking about, it's a reference to the name of God. The readers, the, he, the Hebrews would have recognized this, the name of God as being um, what we refer to as a t t the tetragram tetra tetragrammaton. And um, it basically is a Greek word that means four letters. And there's this, these four letters, and the English letters look like Y-H-Y-H-W-H. And um, sometimes we'll pronounce that Yahweh, but it's really, we don't even really know how the name of God was pronounced. And the Hebrews would have never pronounced it because they would have thought that God is so other and so holy, it would have been almost dangerous to pronounce his name. And so they, they just would look at that and then they would say like the name of, the God, the name of God or um, the name of the Lord, but they would never say his name. And yet we see his name because the a name is in, um, accompanies the, the character of the person. We see his name in Jesus. And so when we, Jesus is saying, when we say the name of Jesus, we're saying the name of God. Now, and we have the power of the name of God. But we, unless we understand the power of the name of God, we're still missing it. Because like in the occult world, there's, all, there's like occult magic that's worked all around these four letters because they're trying to like 
illegitimately glean power from the name of God, even though they don't worship the God. They, they, there's enough power in like these letters that if they do enough weird, like just magic, then they can get power from that. And it's related to like air and fire and all these th- elements and all this stuff. And it's, it has to do with the structures of evil and it's connected to the structures of evil. It's not just like occult people here and then government here. It's, there's ties at the top to all this like plan to, to distort and destroy humanity. And yet God, the father gave Jesus his name. And he gave him the power of that name. And it's not an illegitimate power. It's the legitimate um, name and the legitimate power. And we as disciples have legitimately been given this. So we don't have to figure it out and work it out and manipulate it. We are given this freely by the God who loves us. And we see that this, this um, the name of Jesus and the power that is in the name of Jesus is actually love. And it's the power that is love that brings unity. And it is that unity that um, Jesus is, going, is saying that will reveal um, his power and his kingdom to the rest of the world. In verse 13 it says, Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. And I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. So Jesus says two things in this part of Scripture. One is that when is that um, he told them all these things so that they could be filled with joy. And that joy is the thing that they get filled with as they experience his eternal life. And we, we know in other parts of Scripture when it says that the fruit of the Spirit, the, the Spirit that God gives us is, is joy and peace and love and kindness and gentleness and goodness and um, patience and self-control. And we have all those things in us and we're in this world. And then it says, but the world hates us. And so they, we have this joy. And then the very next sentence, Jesus says, and the world's going to hate them. And it's going to be a struggle. But they don't belong to this world and yet they can still have my life in them. In Romans um, 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we, we can look at, the, at what's going on and we can get caught up in it. That's what he's saying is by don't co- be conformed. Don't get caught up in it, but allow God to show you his perspective, to, to renew your mind so that in it you can have peace and love and joy and patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. James, 14, or James 4, 4, it says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So the world will take sides, and it'll say, We people are good, and you people are bad, somehow. Or it might say, We people are good, and you people have this thing wrong with you, or we have to be afraid of you, or we have to keep you away. And when the world does that, it is 
um, taking the dignity of God out of, out of other humans. And that's the plan of the world. Whether it's, you know, good people might not understand that, this. I mean, there are very good people who are really doing, partnering with Jesus, or sorry, partnering with Satan in a whole bunch of ways because they don't understand that the plan of the enemy is to destroy all humanity. And the best way to do that is make others and make, make we, we have ours and they, they have to stay away. That is absolutely not God's plan because he wants people to, to love and value people. And when we love and value people, we hear their stories. We understand them and we find a way to make things right. In 1 John 2.15, it says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. The world says you deserve everything you have because of something you did. Right? And if someone else doesn't have something, that's because of something they did. And maybe they're not right. And the world says, I'm right. And, I, and even if I don't have anything, at least I can be right. And God will like me better than someone else because I'm more right than them. Right? The world says those things. Because it makes me separate from someone else. It points to someone else and says, other. But we cannot conform to that. And it's tempting. It is tempting. I can come up here and say, love, 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 love. But as soon as you cross me, you are other. But I have to check my heart. I have to check my heart because God is not saying that. And so, so I mean, it's a constant battle. You know, maturity Maturity is step down. The first thing, the first, like I've got to the point where I don't slam it all over Facebook, but I will call three or four people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I haven't got to the part, part where I just like humbly go, oh Lord, just vindicate me in you, and I'll just be quiet until you do that. Mm-mm. You know, but, but I'm growing, you know, I'm learning because it checks, it checks my heart. Like if it comes out of my mouth, I hear it be ugly. I hear it be ugly, and I know it's not right. And so, so this isn't something I have arrived at, but it's, I, I can point to this truth and say, okay, God, help me once again. In verse 17, it says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending you into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Did you hear that? Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was praying for you. When he was praying for disciples, he knew they were going to struggle, but he knows we are too. And he says, to, um, he says, make them holy. The word that's often translated in other translations for make them holy is consecrate. A con- consecration, when something is consecrated, it's set apart. Just like in, um, in Jeremiah, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. So Je- uh, the Lord's saying, I, I saw you and I-, and I set you apart to do this work. So for all of us, he has seen us and he has set us apart to do a work. 
But then it doesn't just end there. I try to pronounce the Greek word for service in taint. So we're not pronouncing the Greek word. But the Greek word that's using the means also to not just set apart, but to equip a man with the qualities of mind and heart and character which are necessary for that task. So that thing I can't do on my own, that thing where, when I get checked in my spirit because I'm not loving right, that, that reminds me, and then the power of the name, the power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit that lives in me, then is going to equip, so he's going to teach and, and give me tools, which it can even be like therapy tools. So if I'm really struggling and I can't do this on my own, therapy tools count and therapists count. Um, he gives me qualities of mind. So he's changing my character and he's conforming my character toward him. And he's um, changing my heart. So he's healing. He's healing those broken places that make me afraid, that make me hold on, that make me want to protect myself because I'm not sure that God will protect me. He's healing those things. Because he has consecrated me. He is making me holy. Um, William Barclay says, We must always remember that God has chosen us out and dedicated us for a special service. That special service is that we should love and obey him and should bring others to do the same. And God has not left us to carry out that great task on our own strength. But out of his grace, he fits us for our task if we place our lives in his hands. So he makes us. He, he does this transforming thing as we place him in our hands. We don't place him in our hands and then leave. We're there, and he's doing it. So we, it's not like, oh, Lord, make me good. He, we, have to, we have to do the work. Verse 21, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So they're supposed to, like our mission is, is to teach the world that God sent um, Jesus, right? And to get them to look at Jesus and have their sins forgiven, right? But he doesn't say, hold up a sign, shout out at people, put some snipey thing on Facebook so the world will know you sent me. He says, let, let them be one. He's talking about unity. He's talking about love, our love amongst our brothers and sisters who are Christians. Our love, not perfect Christians, our love amongst our brothers and sisters who make us mad and frustrate us and, and we don't always agree with, like in this church. And then there's other, there, there's other Christians that we, don't, we, we might not like their theology. We not, might not like their practices. We might think that they're giving Christians a bad name. But we are supposed to be united in love with them because they hold, because the Holy Spirit is in them. The Holy Spirit is in those churches. God is doing something. He might not be doing everything that they're doing, just like he's not doing everything that we're doing. But he's doing something that we can bless in the world. And so we need to see our brothers and sisters in Christ first here and then out everywhere else as as one in Jesus in a, that we have a mandate to get along with so that the world, the people in the world, not the, not the structures, maybe the structures too, so that they can be like frustrated. But so far, I don't think we're frustrating the structures very much. So far, the structures are manipulating the church. But I think that the structures will eventually see when, they're, when, when they are completely wiped out. I'm talking about evil. And the 
those who are called into us will see a real love in us. Not a fear, not a list of rules. They will see a real love in us that calls them out of the world and into us. Verse 22, it says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So we are supposed to have the same kind of love amongst each other as the father and son have for each other. And our love is supposed to show them how much um, the world loved them that they died, that, that God sent his son for them. How are we measuring up? Jesus is expanded in, in the Jesus in us is expanded through us um, so that the whole world will see. And that is why his last prayer is for our unity. The last thing he prayed for, for, for his disciples was for our unity because he knows that we have the job to, or we, our work is to continue his work. Verse 24, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples, you know, these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love will be in them, and I will be in them. And it's up to God who reveals this. God, God, or Jesus wants us to see his glory. He wants us to experience the, the um, rule over all the nations and all the powers and everything else. And we will only see this as the Father continues to reveal his glory. Psalm 146 says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed, and the Lord loves the righteous. In Acts 26, when um, Jesus was commissioning Paul to speak to the Gentiles, he says, Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they would turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart in faith for me. So when we reveal this love, then the people, it's like as they come out of darkness... Then they get to do these things. They'll turn from their sins. They'll receive forgiveness of sins. And they'll, and they'll have a place amongst the people. But it's because we are loving first. We're loving each other. And we're loving the world. So this theology is that of, that, of this whole um, segment of scripture is that the way of life is love. Jesus is praying that we would have eternal life. And he's saying that it is revealed and expressed through love. This is the love of the Father for the world. It's the, um, who sent his Son into the world. And it's the love the Son has to, in obedience to the Father who died for the world. We need to understand that we are chosen um, for this life. And we are chosen to reveal this life. That we will be changed and equipped for the task. And so we, it's not automatic. We have to continue to partner with God. And wherever we are falling short, that's an area where God is doing work. And it's an area where we need to continue to partner in that work. And, it's, and as we partnering in that work, we are helping the Father answer the prayer that Jesus prayed that we would have unity and that we would reveal love. 
So we are, Jesus wants this for us, and as the more we open our hearts to it, the more we give time and energy to, to aligning with Jesus' life, the more we are partnering in, answer, in the Father's answering Jesus' prayer. So are we cooperating? Do we realize that Jesus is, continues to intercede um, for us that we would do this? He's still praying every day, please help them cooperate with this. Are we expressing unity to other Christians and revealing love to the world? So who are other Christians? We have people in our, in our midst, right? We, we're we're well, willing to tolerate each other, but do, but do we know each other? When we love people, we can show them love like from a distance. And I think that we've, some of us have mastered love from a distance. But loving is also something done in relationship because the father and the son didn't just love each other from a distance. Like, yeah, I'll write home and tell him I love him every once in a while if you, and tell him to send money. Right? <laughs> the, when we are loving, we are loving in relationship. And so even, you know, we, as we are growing in this here at Hope Vineyard Church, we can begin to listen to one another. Let's find out who we are. You know, who, who do I love? I love that person, but I, don't, I might not know what the names of their kids. I, I fail at that because I've, I, some of these kids have been here for eight years. Um, but, but, you know, let's, let's get to know each other so we really can love each other, so we really can have each other's backs. And then there's, then there's other people from other denominations. You know, sometimes we can say, well, I'm this, and we believe this, and we're more right than them. But to be a Christian, you believe that Jesus um, is the Son of God, was the Son of God, like, was God, and he died for your sins. Like, and, and there's, there's, like, the way the Bible says, you have to, it has to conform to the Bible. But there's a lot of other stuff on the peripheries. There's practices and, and side beliefs that don't matter as much. But if we can be in unity and like find common ground where we can love people, that's great. But what about Christians who are immigrants? Like what about, what about Christians who don't always, you know, they, there might be Christians who are not legal right now, right? Or might be coming in. Many of those people who are not, um, who are disobeying our immigration laws love Jesus. So how can we love them? We, maybe we could, there, without having there be a political argument, one, we cannot say crappy stuff about them on Facebook, and two, we can find ways to make the system better. All right? So if we want people to obey laws, so let's make the laws better. Right? And let's, let's not be afraid of people. What about people who are... Um, you know, maybe there's heresy, maybe there's imperfection, maybe there's people who are legalistic. I get frustrated because there's, there's Christians who make my, my kind of Christianity look bad, and I'm mad at them, right? But how can we find ways to act loving and to spread love and not fear and not align with the powers of evil? Because whenever we start being other, otherly, we are aligning with the powers of evil, and then we have to love the world because God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so the people who are still stuck in the world, maybe they're following other religions, maybe they're stuck in other structures. You know, all the people who are still stuck in the other world could at any second 
be, be sons and daughters of um, God. And so if we are acting unloving to them, how are we showing love? If we are fearing them, how are we showing love? We are called not to be afraid. If, if more people of a different religion come to our country, that might happen. That was nowhere in the Bible says that that's not going to happen. Right? But if, if someone from a different religion comes to, into my circle, what do I have an opportunity to do? Love them. And the Father who loves them even more than I ever could is drawing them to himself even at this moment. So we can make things opportunities instead of fears. Right? And so if there's, you know, and there's some people you have to love from a distance. If they're dangerous to you, if they are, if they are hurting you directly, you can love them from a distance. And loving them means I'm not going to, like, I'm just going to be quiet. <laughs> Might not be anything else. So we're not saying, like, just be doormats, everybody. It's okay to have good boundaries, but, but mythical boundaries that are, are made by structures is not the same as real um, opening, you know, like, following what the Holy Spirit's doing. How can we participate with consecration? We, we read the Bible, we understand, we learn, we grow, we listen to podcasts, we ask questions, we obey the Father, we, we listen to other people. And we, we ask and we find out what, more, what love really is. We can agree with our purposes. Are we agreeing that we have a purpose? I mean, we're not set here to ride a wave and hopefully it's pleasant and there's all sunshine and flowers. We, are, we have a purpose. How can we experience more of the Holy Spirit's fruit in us? You know, we ask, where, where aren't we? And then we can seek Jesus and say, okay, God, how do we get there? Um... And then we can find out the power of that name. The power, if we knew the power of that name, ah, oh man, what could we do? When we are walking in the authority of the one who reigns on high, and, and we, the power comes through love. If we think, oh, I'm just going to step on someone's head. No, the power comes through love because the enemy can't do it. The enemy can manufacture other kinds of power, but the enemy cannot love. We have something he can never get. And then how can I let him search my heart to lead me to the way of everlasting? We ask him, where are my, where are my fears? What don't I want? What am I scared of when I'm around another person? I mean, we are, some of us are legitimately triggered because we have trauma inside of us. And, and there are some, like, we, we can't help it. We, like, when you get triggered from trauma, you lose your mind, basically, and your body's reacting and the part that actually thinks, is this the best idea? Should I really be doing this? Is gone somewhere else. And then, and then you're like, oh, man, that really didn't look that good. Um, so that happens. So, but if we can get those fears, if we can get some healing, if we partner with Jesus in that, then he can heal that. We don't get triggered so much. Where are our idols? What are we afraid to let go of? What about, where do we need to forgive? Um, where's their unforgiveness? Unforgiveness in one thing, in one area, empowers evil in other areas. Um, and then where are we just being independent? Like, I really just want to do it my way. I really don't like your way anymore, God. When we, um, growing in knowledge and wisdom is growing in understanding of the Lord. And we have understanding of the Lord as we interact with struggle. And God knows that. But he says, 
you'll, you'll have struggles, but give me the power of your name to protect them. Um, so today we can respond. We need to re pray for revelation that God will open the eyes of our hearts, that he will see. Like, this is a lot today. I mean, it was only one chapter, but there's so much theology. But what part of it is, is like, for you? Ask God, show you. How can we grow in the experience of God's love? Where we have felt like he abandoned us, he never did, but sometimes we feel that. Let him open places and bring healing there that we can grow in experience of his love, how he wants to provide for that. We need to commit to loving um, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need to commit to loving the world and not being afraid because any, that God wants to reach them out, and he's not going to do that if we're afraid. And we need to just commit to unity this morning and, um, and not just like toleration, but really learning who we are that we can be united with. And this is hard. This is a hard message. But the hope is that the only thing that will move us into this kind of love is um, hope. But the hope that we have is Jesus. He's our hope. So he's, he wants it, and he's going to do it for us. I want to conclude by reading, and there's a song that we used to sing in the, in the 70s, and it was like a long, long time ago. Um, but there, it was called, They'll Know We're Christians by Our Love. And I just want to read the, the words to it. It says, we're one in the spirit, we're one in the Lord. We're one in the spirit, we're one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Yes, they'll know we're Christians by our love. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. And we'll guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love.